Thanks for tuning in to the Job Papaloni Show. Today, we have Anna Rieger on the show. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, John. Absolute pleasure. Why don't we start off the podcast with a description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Well, I'm an entrepreneur. I didn't have the traditional path in life. I moved out at a young age. I went back to school. I didn't go to high school. I went back to school got my bachelor's of science from the University of Houston with the intentions of being a nurse. I took care of special needs kids when I was younger. So I thought I was gonna go into that field. That was where I was supposed to be. However, life had a different path for me. I couldn't actually quit working at the time and go into the nursing program. It just didn't work for me at that moment. And so as devastated as I was, I just started taking business classes. So I had all these science classes and then all of a sudden I went into marketing and then I took a entrepreneurship class and I really loved it and it just really excited me um but something I never even thought about right and then fast forward I meet my at the time my one of my very best friends he became my best friend years and years ago he's an entrepreneur himself started his first business when he was 18 and he became almost like a mentor friend to me but we didn't really talk business or do a lot of business. But then as time evolved, we decided to start a business together and we did, and it became very successful. The first one, which was like window tinting for commercial residential buildings and and offices and things like that. Um, Then we decided to go into another business, which um, when I went into real estate, him and I did a project together. Uh, We ended up getting married and uh, he compliments a lot of the things in business that I don't really know and vice versa, right? He likes to be the visionary. I like to do the details and together we've created uh, numerous businesses and a lot of them have been focused in real estate. Our first business deal, big deal was real estate. And then now my new company that I'm very focused on and is now very mission driven. So I've robbed my real estate business to pay Paul, which is to fund my FlipLock business and FlipLock is a school safety. For me, it's a school safety device that empowers our children to be able to lock the doors. But with our children in mind, we created a secondary lock for our daughter that moved into an apartment. So, you know, they have, I don't want somebody walking in on her when she's coming out of the shower. And as you know, anybody that lives in a rental property, somebody else has the key. And when kids move out, they don't know, they really don't get it. And so that was when FlipLock was created with our kids' safety in mind. And that's what I'm doing now. Interesting. That is actually interesting. I was not expecting that. And, you know, it's, I I guess, let's be honest, from a female perspective, I think that's going to be more on uh, your mind than a male's perspective. I mean, not that we want, you know, our privacy invaded either way, but I just think, and and again, this is just from my perspective, that it's, I think it'd be more of a concern from a female perspective. Right. I mean, it does, unless you're a dad and you have a daughter that's moved out of the house. And then you're worried about your well, daughter. Of course. Or if you're a husband and you leave your wife at home alone because you're traveling or you're at work or, you know, you have kids and they get home from school before you, then I think as a dad, it can also be something that men would consider because of the women or the children in their lives, you know, and yes, men may be less prone to want to put in a lot, but I think if you have an elderly parent, it's another reason for you to think like, I really want them to lock the door. My mother-in-law has arthritis. She will not lock the door because she can't unlock it because of her arthritis. But if you made it flip lock, which we've patented and they flip it and it drops and it locks in place, it's super simple for her to lock and 
All she has to do is flip it back over. And so with those things in mind, as entrepreneurs, you, you, you see problems. And, you know, unfortunately, with the school safety, it wasn't something that we wanted to do. But being a mom, husband and wife with two kids, six kids, there's just no way for you to ignore it. After a while, you go, I got to get in there and try to do something for my kids, man. I mean, because that's really the world we live in, right? Um, it's just what it is. But how did this become an issue? And what I mean is, uh, well, I mean, the world's messed up. That's how it became an issue. But I meant is like, <laughs> how, how did this uh, become on your radar? Like, I mean, like just having kids alone, I don't imagine you would just think of it. So yeah. usually what I'm saying is there's usually a trigger that may go, hmm. Nothing happened, but I, I need to do something about this because something could have happened. And that's usually like, there's something that sparks that. So I'm curious to what it is. It was years and years ago, right? When you always see the same thing we all see, active threat at shooter situations in schools. When you have kids in school, it hits home, right? Something you're like, what the heck? What are we supposed, what can we do? And when you're a person that's always solving problems in business, you're an entrepreneur. My husband's a visionary. He is a, a inventor. You know, and we're all, oh, they, somebody solved it. Somebody solved it. Somebody solved it. And it's not our problem, right? But it is your problem when it comes into your neighborhood or your area, right? And that was kind of what happened when there was a situation that hit close to home, you know? And then it was like, whoa, this is still happening, you know, six years later after we first thought about it. And nobody's done really something to empower our children. You know, as a mama, my kid's pretty smart. If you give her the tool... They can go into, they'll do it. They'll go into action. But if you don't give them the tools, you've done them a disservice. And so with that, I would talk to my husband, you know, now I'm concerned because my daughter came home that day when that situation happened. And I asked her, what do you do? Tell mommy what happens in a lockdown situation. She said, you know, she's in elementary. She's my, she's tiny. And she's, I'm like, mom, I'm supposed to run in the classroom with the teacher, get against the wall, turn off the light. Teacher locks the door. Teacher turns off the light. Teacher turns off the light. And I was like, how do you know if the door is locked? I don't. Can you lock the door? No. What do you do if your teacher's not with you? I don't know, mom. Oh, that's a big drop in the heart right there, man. And then you're like, wait, why don't you know? Why, why can't, did they tell you? She had no clue. And that really sparked me talking to my husband more. Like we really need to find something. And one day he woke up, he said, Anna, it came to me. I, I, I believe it was a gift from God from somewhere higher being whatever you believe in it came to him that night he's not allowed to wake me up with any more of these fabulous ideas because they happen around three o'clock in the morning all the time this is true go to breakfast he drew it on a piece of paper and that was really when flip-flop was born wow so how does it work exactly so it's simple i can show you i know your viewers can't see it but for schools for example it just it just attaches to the frame of the door, any door in the schools. They run in the classroom, they shut the door, they flip it, it drops, it locks. And it reminds them to call 911 because that's the next action step. But not only that, it says it's locked, right? And it has an unlocking mechanism. Of course, you know, we have six kids and three of them are boys. So, you know, they can, you know, do silly things, but there's a there's an unlocking mechanism for that. But why is it red? Because it's an emergency use device. Why is it that big? Because it's supposed to hold 20. It, it does has been tested to hold over 2000 pounds of pressure. How much does a normal deadbolt hold? 75 to 150 pounds. What happens if the guy just shoots the door with one little lock that just one little thing when you have something like this, they're not going to want to stand there and waste their time on that. And the goal is to save if we can save one child, right? And yep. if that child is your child, 
we've done more than what we've asked for, right? We All we want to do is save lives and we've given them the sense of empowerment. They're not thinking, what am I going to do if a person walks into the classroom? They know exactly what they're going to do. Why? Because they see that big old red device sitting on the door, right? I don't have to think about it no more. Guess what? Now I can be a student and go back to thinking about class. Now I can be a teacher and go back to thinking about teaching my kids. And that's really what this is about for me. It's very mission driven. For me, this is my passion. I believe that we can save lives if we simply give our kids the right tools and we can minimize the casualties. And that's all this is. I'm not saying that we're going to save everybody, but we can definitely minimize the casualties. And that one child that we save is one child more than we should have lost, which moms and dads have lost so many children right now in my heart goes out to them. I just don't want to see that anymore. Got it. Got it. That's actually quite clever. Now, I, I, I'm glad you actually showed it to me, right? Because it had what I was envisioning and what it is are not exactly the same thing. Right. Like I got the concept, right? But right. I was envisioning this portable thing and I'm thinking, how does it stick to the wall? Like, like I was trying to figure that out. Now that you showed it to me, I completely get it. Right. You know? And that's quite clever, actually. Thank you. Thank you. And, and it needs to be simple, simple to use, simple to, to unlock. It needs to be all those things because kids and, and anybody, you never know. If the teacher is the only one that has the tool to lock the door, you've just done a disservice to the other 20 children in the room because that teacher may or may not go into action. It's nothing against them. It's just normal fight or flight reaction, right? Some people will go into action. Some people will freeze. But I guarantee you, if there's 20 or 15 other kids in that classroom, one of them will go into action to secure that door and possibly save that many more students. Makes sense. Now, like you said, this can be used anywhere. This could be used in a dorm. It could be used in a shower. Well, not a shower itself. I mean, like the bathroom. Yeah, I have a home version as well. So the home version is just as simple. I'm actually going to be uh, doing this. It's smaller. Of course, you don't want to look at a big red lock in your home, right? No. But if you have silver hardware, you just, the same thing. It attaches to the frame of the door. You shut your door. You flip it. It drops. It locks. Grandma can now lock her door. You know, um, those kind of things that she can get in and out of her house. She doesn't have to worry about that kind of stuff, you know? And so I think that if we give people the right tools, people will go in to take more action to protect themselves. And that goes with homes, offices. If you put it in your office, we have them in our office. If there's some situation, somebody comes in, everybody has a lock to be able to secure the door. I do have one question that poses one concern in my mind. Mm -hmm. So in comparison to what it could be, it's a minor concern, but it's still a concern. Sure. What happens if you have a young child, we'll say four or five years old or whatever, figures out how to flip the lock and they're on one side of the door and you're on the other side of the door. Right. And in that situation, again, I would put that lock and use it to your advantage to put it up higher because you won't be able to, that kid won't be able to get out of the door either or answer the door for somebody that comes knocking door to door salesman comes knocking and the kid opens it because you're in the kitchen. Now they can't open it and they can't reach it. If you put it up high enough, that's not going to be an issue, right? Yeah. I, I guess at four years old, they're not climbing yet, but. Uh... No. And I think that if you put it up high enough, right. And I, I wouldn't worry about um, that right now. I think that if you tell your kids, you know, don't touch it, most kids will listen you know, or if you don't even tell them anything about it, you know, but if they can't get out and when they're young, you know, as they grow five years old, they start understanding like, okay. And the, the thing is, is if they lock it and they're smart enough to lock it, can you unlock it? I need you to unlock the door. You know, you can talk to your kids for the most part, um, kids that are five and over. Got it. Interesting. You're obviously very entrepreneurial and um, it's, it's just, I find it fascinating, right? Cause let's be honest, what do we have the normal, uh, we all grew up with the normal saying, you know, 
go to school, get a good education so you can get a good job, so you can buy your white picket fence and then you can get married. You can have your children and retire because you got to save your money. And uh, it's that, that message was really made and catered for the industrial age, you know, when we had factories. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's not really for today, but they haven't changed the messaging. Nobody has. And in fact, the fundamental thing we haven't learned is financial education, what to do with your money. Everyone thinks that you trade time for money and you save your money, and that's how you get ahead. But uh, I don't know if anybody's been around for the last uh, year. Interest rates have been going up like crazy, and the big, big fundamental reason that they're claiming is inflation, which basically means that same inflation that they're raising interest rates for is the same thing that's making your money worthless. Right. So what we have now and what we're known now, like, the common thing here is making your money work for you. And now there's many ways to do that. Now, I'm a particular fan of real estate, which clearly you were as well. I am. And I'm not saying you're not still. I'm just saying, you know, that was one avenue as real estate grows with appreciation. And the other way to do it is to develop a business. Right. And so with real estate, you know, now that you mentioned interest rates and things like that. So if you're starting out in real estate, right? And as you may know, you start out, you're a first time person, you're buying a, a little place, a townhouse for say that you're going to rent out to someone. Uh, you might've used all your money and put all your cash into the deal because most times if you need to improve it, the bank's not going to give you a loan or anything on that. But let's say you got it and you've got it all paid off and you have a renter in there and you've got a track record of building maybe a year or two or three years of having this renter in there, uh, a nonstop renter bringing you income. Then now you can take that income and you can take that property and you can take it to the bank and you can get 70, 75% loan to value, right? Of course, the interest rates are very high right now. It's not a, a pleasant time to do this kind of business. It's a good time to hold and just stay calm and don't stress out and just ride the ride until it changes. But you could take that and you could go to the bank and you could get a loan, 75% loan to value, and you could go and take that money and invest it in a second property or in a second investment. That money is tax-free. And that's really where people can create real wealth because they can take that money and continue to grow and then do the same process, rinse and repeat. It's the same process. Don't ever get something more than you can afford. If you invest and you got a loan on this property, you better be able to cover that mortgage, that maintenance, the air conditioner going out, the plumbing, you better be able to cover that. And I say six months to be comfortable. It would be nice if you had a cushion of, of a year. So if you take that loan, loan to value, let's say you get, it's a hundred thousand, you get 75,000, 75,000, you go buy another property. Don't put the whole 75,000. Now you got two properties with two sets of maintenance problems, two sets of things you need to fix. Put some of that money into a reserve so that you have it to fall back on. And hey, if your tenants pay and everybody's good and no air conditioners go out and no maintenance issues come up, then you're going to be doing that much better. But if you go and you put all your eggs into another basket, you could be putting yourself in a situation that's not favorable for you to be successful. And the goal is to build your rate of success up to show the banks that you're worthy to get a bigger loan or be, be able to manage your money in a way that they can trust you to support you. Because that's the biggest thing is having a bank that will support you. And most big banks are hard to do business with. I would suggest go with sm smaller local banks that understand your business, that understand you're starting out and show that you can do this business and you will become successful and you will create wealth. 
amazing amazing message so now going into the business here mm-hmm. are you guys do you guys have a patent on the business yes i have several patents on Flip-lock, you mean? Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. And register trademarks and all of that. We have other businesses that we've done this also in. So Flip-lock is just my most recent passion. I'm getting out in front, talking to people like yourself. In real estate, you never really have to go and talk to people. You don't really have to get out there and put yourself out there because as much as people think it's easy, it's really, it's really difficult. So I applaud you for having your podcast and getting out there and talking to people because that takes a different kind of energy, right? Not just focus on your business. And so a lot of people don't like to do that. It's uncomfortable. But for me, Flip Like is so mission driven that I feel the need to get out and talk so that people can understand what I'm trying to do. And that way they can get behind the movement of giving our kids secondary locks to be able to protect themselves. Yeah, I agree with you about that with business, about getting out there needing to uh you know, get yourself known. Like we're gone are the days where the early days of promoting and stuff is that just say, I don't know what your pricing is like, but just pretend it's $99, right? And you want to get people buying it and you want to get a flood into the store. What do you do? $99 is the retail price. It's on sale today for 25% off and just was enough to get people to flood through the gates and sell a, you know, a gazillion of them. Right. Day. Nobody cares about that because specials have become so part of the norm right. that uh, if you're not catching today's special, you're going to catch tomorrow's special. So what's the difference? And it's just people are not reacting to the same thing, but people are reacting to mission-driven businesses. When you have a different perspective and I have a different way of getting your story out there and stories are what's selling, stories are what people want to hear and talking like on, on podcasts and, and, and social media is the way that people get to understand what that product is. And then they can say, Hey, I like this or it's not for me. And either one's okay, but at least you got the message to people and then they can decide what works for them or doesn't work for them. That's right. That's exactly that's exactly why you go out and you do podcasts and things like that. And in real estate, you don't really have to do that unless you have a commercial building and you're trying to fill it up, for example, which I did, uh, took it from 5% occupancy to 100% occupancy. It was four-story building, and uh, that was a lot of work. <laughs> and I did that myself, actually. Yeah, well, there you go. So you have you have real estate now. Let me ask you something. I'm gonna get get into this because everyone talks about passive income, mm-hmm. and you're a landlord, right? How passive is it really? <laughs> you know, it sounds good and it sounds amazing, and I'm not gonna discourage anybody, but I will say that you know that clogged toilet that flooded the next downstairs room is not a call you want to get at two in the morning or the air conditioner went out and you're in Texas and it's 104 degrees at 10 o'clock at night and the family living there is upset, out of your hands, but man, you gotta get an AC guy out there now and you better have the money to pay for that six to $10,000 unit, whatever that looks like for your size of a place that you're renting. Um, I think that those are things that people have to really consider and really know. Uh, And then if you say the toilet clogged this thing and it's blocked and it's flooded the downstairs. Now you got to do sheetrock and painting and it can be, you know, something if you're not well versed in, you know, maintenance or you don't have a good crew or you don't have people that you can call, then it could, could become a very stressful job. And so I say, okay, I don't want a job. 
I want passive income. How does that work? Right? So then some people think, Oh, you know what? I'm going to go into short term rental. I'll rent my house out for short term. That's great. First of all, you better make sure your HOA allows that or you may be getting fined. So there will be a whole nother thing there. So whenever you buy something going into short term rental properties, make sure you're within your HOA. Don't buy something with that intention and not do your research and see if it's something that you can do in that area because you can be stuck with the property that you cannot rent short term, limiting your amount of income that you can make, which can be really hindering to your financial, you know, uh, passive income. And even with that, you still got to manage. It's almost a job, right? You got to do the guest check-in. You got to talk to them. You got to answer the emails. You have to set up the platforms. You have to pay the monthly fee, whatever that is for whatever platform you're using. So there's a lot of things that are not so passive about it on the income side. You see the income, but you also have to remember there's also a lot of expenses and time that needs to go into those businesses. Absolutely. See, and there you go. And there you have it, right? There's a lot of things to consider, a lot of things to look out for. It's not just buy a place, stick somebody in there and call it a day. So <laughs> <laughs> <It's> um, good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there you go. Anyways, so with that being said, right? Like, I mean, again, there's different things for different people. Mm -hmm. Now, going into business and doing everything you did, like, let, let's be honest, when you created Flip Lock, I am sure it wasn't something that you spent in your head going, dee, 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 open your eyes, oh, there it is. It was something that requires, I'm, I'm assuming, a substantial investment. It is because you have to do research and development. So it's this idea that really helped my husband with his head of the invention of the actual device. And then it was him and I coming together and saying, you know, me telling him it needs to be bigger. It needs to be red. It needs to be for schools, right? It needs to be this. It needs to be that. And then go into the research and development of where are we going to manufacture? How fast can we get this made? How many different prototypes did we have to make? I'm, I don't, I, it's quite a fit. And every prototype is not free to make, right? For a company to make it and send it to you, that's a whole process. And then you get it and you're like, ah, this isn't exactly what I, you know, had in mind. And can we change this thing? Well, that thing that you want to change cost you another, whatever that is, right? Whatever the thousands of dollars, let's be realistic, right? And then if you go, okay, I got the research and development. Now I want to go test it, right? I want to make sure this thing does what I want it to do. Guess what? <laughs> it's not as strong as I thought it was going to be. I got to go back to research and development, which means more money, Right now you can go, oh, that's good enough. You know, whatever. Right. With the school lock, it was first painted. Right. What if we have it painted? And then I said, I really want to give a lifetime warranty. I really think school should only buy this thing one time. If we paint it, it's going to be look. it's going to not look good. Right. So then that's another thing Do we anodize it. It's more cost, but then you got to get the sample in and everything costs money and time. Right. It takes weeks and weeks to get samples in weeks and weeks to go back and forth. Right. So it takes a long time to get something to really bring it to life. And I think that that's the biggest thing, you know, and then when you bring something to life, you have to go, okay, now what, what do I do? Where do I go? I got my, I got my product. <laughs> now what do I do? You know, and, and I'm a big believer in, you know, I don't want to talk about my product until I have it in my hand. So I have a warehouse with product now I'm ready. You know, if the schools call me, they're ready. I got it ready to go because I think that's important to be able to give people what they want when they're ready to, to get it. Um, and that also costs, right? You can't just go, oh, well, they're going to order, uh, you know, 500 and uh, I'll get them to you in three months. Nobody wants to wait three months, right? So we invested 
some of the money from another business into, you know, from ourselves, this is our personal money into, you know, basically flip locks, R and D flip locks, you know, uh, products. We, we did all that in order to make sure that we could, you know, or you take a property for example, and you can, if you have to get a loan on that one, you use that for whatever it is you want to use it for. It's it's money that's tax free that you can you're free to do whatever you want with it. Right now, you, you have this product and you need to figure out distribution. Now, there's different ways to do that. What is your distribution plan, and how did you decide to go that route versus the other available options? So right now, my distribution plan is direct to consumer, and I sell on Amazon. I sell on my own website. We do commercials. We have, you know, some, you know, Google ads, Facebook, whatever that looks like, whatever our, our media is going to be marketing to on those platforms online. And then with going into stores, I'm not really big on going into stores right now because I, I have other businesses that I've gone to, to big box vendors and I'm, I was in over 2000 stores across the world, right? In the United States and in other countries, but the, the margins are super, super low. Like you got to sell a lot and it's a lot of work. You got to do their packaging. You got to get it palletized a certain way. You got to wrap it. You got to have a full team just to deal with, you know, for example, party city, right? A full team, you know, it's a whole thing. And I did that in another business with my husband. And so I don't really want to do that because I think that if we go direct to consumer, we can cut out all that extra stress and extra overhead of people and everything for now. And I'm also going, I should be going live in the next couple of weeks on QVC. So I'll be on QVC. I'll be the Van and White of QVC uh, for Flip Lock. And I will be, I will see how, how we do there. And I'll be selling the home version of the Flip Locks. That's amazing. And I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because there's too many people out there that think, oh, if I can just get into a Walmart, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> but nobody really understands like the whole behind the scenes thing. Exactly. And there's numerous companies out there that get into the Walmart and they actually end up bankrupt at the end of it. Because what happens is before you go into some of these meetings, they ask you to sign all these documents. And a lot of people were excited. You know, the first time I was like, wow, but I'm still a businesswoman before, right? I've, I've learned a lot along the way. I have a very expensive MBA. Although I don't have an official MBA, I have a very expensive one. Trust me, I've lost a lot along the way. So I hope to help other entrepreneurs not make the same mistakes that I did, right? And so what they don't realize is that they signed something that said, you know, they're going to pay... I'm going to go do this business with Walmart and I'm going to pay for all the shipping for every customer, right? That is not good. If I have to send a freight from my office to wherever in Walmart, that's a big cost that you don't incorporate. They usually want at least two and a half to three times markup. So you're, I mean, your margins are really getting shut down. And then they tell you they, they want to buy this much, but they're going to start with this much. But guess what? There's no guarantee they're going to buy that next amount. They're just trying to negotiate you down to your minimum bare bottom saying that you're going to sell so much volume that your numbers will work. So if you don't know anything about numbers and business and how much it costs for you to have that employee packing that stuff for them, how much it costs for you to get that special packaging that they want you to have, how much it costs for you to do the shipping and all the logistics that go with that, then you can really end up upside down because and the other thing is, is most of those big box vendors, 
Party City, for example, I know for sure I did business with them directly. They want terms. So they want to order it, let's say January, February. They want you to ship it in June or July. And they want to have it in their stores by August, September because it was a seasonal item. And you're not getting paid. You better have the money to front the day you got to get it made. Either you have it in your warehouse now or you got to make that product for them. You got to send it to them. How many months is that? You get paid. For me, it was at the end of like November. So it was like you had to have that to make it go. How can you function like that with your employees that got to pack it with your people that you need to run the biz the daily business for your online sales and all those other things that go with it. And that's just one company. Imagine if you had Walmart and, you know, party city and, and I had a lot of companies, but a lot of the other companies were private owned, you know, companies and they would pay for their own shipping. And that was negotiated in our terms. But when you go to big box, they got it all lined out. This is how we do business. You want it, take it or leave it. Or if they really want your product, they'll work with you. Yeah. And don't forget the other key component here. If they order 10,000 units from you at a certain price and now you think, okay, I got a uh, 30 day, 60 day, 90 day, whatever, and then I'm getting paid. What ends up happening sometimes is that they'll pay you for what they sold and they'll ship back what they didn't sell and not pay you for that. Well, that or they'll negotiate in their contract that, you know, it, they put in like 10 or 20% off of what they're going to pay you back for returns or for whatever. So they pad it in such a way that they're not really losing. Right. So there's always a way where you're going to be, they're not, they're always going to protect their interests. So well, that's my point. And that's why a lot of these big box stores don't mind the returns. It's because the manufacturer is the one taking them back, not the actual store. Right. Right. And I didn't do that with, uh, for example, party city, but what another thing you have to think about, and, and this is a, a, a rare occasion, right? But a couple of years ago, we had been doing a lot of volume with them. And then I started, you know, hearing rumblings, you know, the, you could see the world was changing after COVID. And so we kind of pulled back on our, our business with them. Their business slowed down as much, but um, they went bankrupt. And what happens when they go bankrupt and they owe you money? If you're lucky, you get 10 or 20 cents on the dollar. And if you're unlucky, you get nothing. You get zero, right? Yeah. And so how do people survive when they have money, they have purchase orders that are supposed to be paid and now, oh, sorry, our business didn't do well. So you're out of luck. That trickle effect affects all the small businesses that went all in and so excited and thought this thing was going to really change their lives when really it did, but not in the way that they intended. And that's something I really think people need to really think about. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, I think that's important to learn because then you always protect yourself and your business. Absolutely. Now, to be clear, I'm not anti big store. I'm not telling everybody watch. Don't go into big stores. What all I'm saying is that when you decide to go into a big store, you have to have like, like a house, you have to have your foundation set. And I believe that everybody should have a foundation that carries them and use those big box stores as that gravy that's coming in because your foundation's holding everything up anyways. Right. And that's the way I think. And I think if you get the right partnership with the right big box store, because there are, I mean, it was a great relationship when things were going great, right? And then COVID happened. And that really was something that we never, nobody saw coming, right? And that's where I learned all those things like, oh my gosh, we really got to think 
things through. And with Fliplock, it's like, okay, we want to go into big box stores. You have to be strategic who you want to align yourself with, which big box companies are going to be those companies that are going to grow with you into the future. And you're going to be able to grow as a company with them. Because I think that aligning yourself with the big box store that really can serve you and you can serve them that's the perfect marriage because you're getting married at the end of the day to these companies right whether you like it or not and the margins may be smaller but for you to say hey you can find us at your local you know store then that really does give people that sense of wow okay I'll, i can find you in the store and so yes absolutely i'm absolutely not saying don't go into big box i just say Go in with your eyes open and understand what you're signing and read it and make sure that you can fund that amount of money that you funded to the store in the unlikely event something happens and they file bankruptcy because you don't want to be in a bad situation. Absolutely. Now, with that being said, when you got into all this, there must have been like, look, let's be honest, our brains are wired to protect us. And sometimes protecting isn't what people think. It's not like you wake up and go, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then your brain, you know, just adapts to that. The truth of the matter is that you can look at life as behold or beware, but beware is safe and our brain is there to protect us. So we always look at watch out, look out, hold on, no, think about it. And that's the mindset of safety. So right. with that being said, there's always that big fear and that fear that we have to overcome. And I'm sure as a serial entrepreneur, you have had many moments where you jump into something and you have that moment where you go, oh my God, what have I done? Yes. Now, clearly you're still going through stuff. Like you're still in the business. You're still moving forward. So you got past that. So describe that feeling and how you got through it. Yeah. So, you know, when you start any business, you got all these great ambitions and wishes and dreams and hopes, and you put all this investment of time and sweat and blood and tears into this thing and then you let's say it doesn't do what you thought it was going to do the numbers aren't there yet you know you're scratching to get by and you're you know wondering what's going to happen i think you just have to look at it and really decide in that moment you know if i can this business does it have the potential to to continue for me to keep working on it and throwing more money into it or am i throwing good money at bad money and then you have to decide is it time to pull the plug on this and let it go? Or is it time to really focus and try to reevaluate what I'm doing? Because sometimes you have a great idea, but when you bring it to market, it, you know, not everybody thinks that that widget is the greatest widget that you thought it was. And so I think if you go into any business and you go, okay, I'm not going to be emotionally attached to any business that I do, except I am attached to flip block, but for most people, whatever they create, they become emotionally attached and it's hard to close the door on something when you've spent so much time and so much money and so much effort and it's just not doing what you need it to do. You have to give it a shelf life and say, okay, I can only manage it to this before I burn out, I, I make myself go bankrupt or I lose everything I've built along the way in other things or I'm just, I, I won't be able to dig myself out of this hole. Then you have to really find a way to cut your losses. Yeah, I get that. Now, again, you brought up a good point here, right? So many people get into business and then they have opportunity that presents themselves and they don't want to do it. Oh, it's my baby. It's my baby. Yeah. No, it is not your friggin' baby. It's your business. That's right. You know what I mean, it, your, a business wasn't meant to carry 
cattle and uh you know feed it and uh you know what i mean like take it to mcdonald's you know like a business was there to help you create a lifestyle you want and sometimes an opportunity comes in for example where we hear this the most is that oh well my business does you know two three million dollars a year i had a really big company that offered me 10 million dollars but i didn't want to accept it because you know it's my baby accept the damn money and move on right like if unless you have a bigger vision that you think you can do better like do not do it based on emotion do it based on logic that's right do not use your heart use your head in this instance because you don't want to be emotionally attached to something if somebody's giving you a check and you say, oh my gosh, I wouldn't make that money for 10 years. How much is that 10 years worth to you? And what could you do with that? Might be an opportunity of one door closing and another door opening and pushing you to go create something better or different with that money. But without that money, you're still running in that wheel trying to get that thing to whatever it's going to be to that number. So I think that always have an open mind, right? And if there's somebody that wants something and they're offering you a number that you don't see yourself making, for a long time, you really should evaluate that. And that's right, You, it is your baby, your love. Send it in love and light and take it to the bank. <laughs> yeah, there you go, exactly. So love that perspective. And um, yeah, so with that being said now, how old is uh, Flip Lock? Flip Lock will be two years old in September. Wow, <laughs> wow, so that's amazing, that's amazing. So at this point in time that uh, you've got that going on. I mean, like you've had multiple business. Do you still have all of them running? Uh, yes, most of them. So how many do you have at the same time going right now? Well, uh, it depends. So I have the real estate properties or several of those. And then we have um, a company, uh, Rockstar, Rockstar Wigs. We, it's kind of, you know, something we just have because we started it years ago. And uh, it was my brother-in-law, my husband and I. And we've taken it, you know, and it's just after COVID that kind of went, but it's still going. And then we have Flip Lock, and then I have a bib company that I did um, years ago with my daughter when she started, uh, when she was born, you know, don't kiss the baby, you know, reminding people not to kiss our kid because we didn't want to tell people that. And so it was just, be, it was just an issue, right? Uh, and so how can we say it in a nice way? So I created bibs and little blankets uh, when they come out of the bathtub, you know, that kind of thing. So. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. So, I, basically, you create a lot of opportunities based on life experiences. Right. And my husband has his first business. He started when he was 18, and we have several locations that are still going today. Good for you. That's awesome. So, what would you say? What would your advice be to someone who's doing the nine to five and whether they're inspired by everything we just said or scared off by what we just said, but they're really interested in doing their own thing, but they're not really sure they're half interested because of fear or whatever what would you do what would be the steps for them to start i think that the most important thing is is what find something that you're good at one of the sayings my husband and i always say is you know become the expert because if you don't become the expert in your business you're going to hire an expert and this is nothing bad against experts but if you don't get the right one some of those experts will expertly come in and take your money and that's not, that's their business. You know, they're going to give you their advice. They're not guaranteed to give you results. And that's up to you to be able to know, is this the right 
thing for your business. And if you hire the right experts, they can take your business to the next level. But if you don't know anything about this business that you're going into, you're setting yourself up for failure. So I think the most important thing is to do your homework. Where do you see that you can be successful? What is a number that you can start investing to make yourself be able to bring that dream to life? Write down three things every day that you want to do towards that business. And then at the end of that week, go over it. What can you do to take action now? If it's going to take you five minutes to do it, do it right away. It's going to take you a day or two. Set up time, block out time and do that action. And by the end of a, a, a month, you'll have so much already started for your business. And it's not going to be perfect. Trust me, you're not going to have it perfect. If you're looking for perfection, you're going to be stuck. What is it? Um, um, perfection brings um paralyzation what is it there's oh analysis by paralysis analysis by paralysis so you know for me going out and speaking i was like oh my god i'm not ready you know what just go do it you won't make the same mistake twice yeah now i call uh i call some experts most experts to me are are a bunch of people who are experts at taking your money because they can't make their own that's the way I view it. Now, yeah, again, I believe there's always exceptions and there are people that are really good at what they do. Right. But right. the majority of people become experts once they uh, realize they can't make a sale on their own. Yeah. So, I think the main thing that you could do too is seek out mentors. If you want to get into real estate, seek yes. out mentors. Look for people that are doing what you want to do and try to find people that will actually empower you and inspire you and give you little bits of knowledge maybe they'll give you a lot i don't know read books try to make yourself well-rounded because those are important the people you surround yourself with are the people that you're going to become like if you surround yourself with people that are super successful and you're not successful yet guess who the next successful person will be you if you surround yourself with people that aren't doing anything and you're guess who the next person to not do anything is going to be you so it's up to you to decide who you surround yourself with and i think experts are i mean i have a business coach if you have a business coach that you can find or a mentor somebody that you trust that recommends somebody then that's what i think you should do find people that can help inspire and empower you it's most important right see look you just opened up a floodgate here for me and you know against there's a lot of my uh belief now prime example a lot of people want to know why some people want to know how and i think both of those are the wrong questions those are questions that tend to come from non-action people <laughs> and i find the right question that you should be asking is who not how right who can help you who can get you to where you want to go who's got my money yeah who's got my solution Everything revolves around who, which is the circle you just talked about. That's right. Because the questions are going to be there, you know, for whatever it is. But if you don't find people that have done it, or if you don't read books by people that are doing it and learn those things and, and save yourself from those pitfalls, then you're setting yourself up for failure. You know, no matter how good you think you are at something, somebody's done it and somebody's done it better and somebody's learn some lessons along the way and you're lucky enough if you find a book where they shared that knowledge with you because a lot of people don't want to share that and that's something that i think is very important for people to realize they need to surround themselves with people that are going to give them the knowledge yeah now one thing i've learned in my experience in my journey is that the majority of successful people and i'm not talking about accidental entrepreneurs i'm not talking about somebody who scored a million and think he has a billion i'm <laughs> Talking about true success, somebody who's been in over the long run, 
a lot of them think in the abundance mindset. They don't mind teaching you because they have the mindset that there's plenty to go around. Right. I find the ones that scored that million and think they have, you know, have a billion are the ones that thought, oh, got to keep it a secret. Shh, don't tell anyone. That's right. right. Because they're so limited and they, and in a sense, they don't even believe in themselves most times that they can't believe that they even got what they got. So they don't want anybody to take it from them. You're absolutely right. I've met many, many people that won't even give you an inkling of what I'm telling you now, won't even get on a podcast and share knowledge or insight to help people because it's like, I want to be the best. I want to be the best. You become the best. My husband wrote a book. Uh, he has a book out. And one of the things he says is you become the best or you become better when you become the teacher, because then you can share your knowledge with other people. And you don't want to be somebody that hoards everything. What a shame it would be right for us to leave this world and not share that knowledge so that the next group of people or entrepreneurs can come in and create something better than you did or even create their own thing. But how can we do that if we don't give them a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of help? And I'm a firm believer in that. I really love to help entrepreneurs. I love to help women in business. I love to help anybody that wants help and really wants to listen. I don't want to help people that just want to take my information and then it goes in one ear and out the other. That's a waste of my time. But if you take it and you go into action, I will absolutely want to support you in that. Absolutely. Love that. So now I mean, here's another controversial question. <laughs> so if you have to choose one or the other, marketing or sales, which one is most important? Hmm. I think, it. I guess it depends on where you are. If you need to make money, then sales. But if you want to get out there, then marketing. So I don't know if I can choose one over the other. I think if you do a good marketing, I guess marketing will always bring you sales. That's very interesting, right? Well, that's an assumption that the product is good. If the product is something that the market wants, then yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting perspective, right? I, I believe that marketing over sales, we're talking about long-term, short-term at the end of the day, if you're going to close your doors in a week, doesn't matter how much marketing you do <laughs> without a sale, you're kind of done. Right. But, <laughs> but I mean, the assumption is that, uh, you're prepared and you have a big enough budget to take you so you can go the long run and build over time. Yeah. Sales are important. I mean, I'm not saying phone rings. I'm, I'm doing marketing. Don't answer. Um, that's not what I'm talking about, but, uh, yeah, like I, I think that people in general, and this even applies to real estate or products, people want to buy from people they know, like, and trust. Correct. And if you have a product that is being sold to the masses, there's no possible way that you can get known, like, and trust one by one by making phone calls. Right. So how do you get known? By marketing. What happens is you market yourself or market your product and you become really well-known. And when you become well-known, people seek you out. That's Versus right. sales where you have to do one by one. Right. Again, exactly. large product with, you know, making $20,000 a shot, one by one might work for you. But if you're making 10, 20 bucks and you're doing one by one, I can promise you, you're going to get close to being out of business before you get the next sale. Right. And that brings me to another a point to make, you know, when you go into your business, you need to have a marketing budget you have to have a way because you can't go, Oh, I got all my money's going to go into this product. Now it's sitting in my warehouse and nobody knows I have it. What am I going to do? You have to have money set aside for marketing. So always think about that as well. No matter what you're doing, Google marketing, everything costs money. Nothing's free. Exactly. Your time is money too. And the, and the question that you get, I get a lot is, you know, what's the key to success? I'm, there is no shortcut. There is no secret recipe to success. It's get up, go, go, go. Action, action, action. Rinse, repeat. 
if nobody tells me, Hannah, you got to get to the office at eight o'clock in the morning, but best believe I'm at the office eight o'clock in the morning. Hey, Hannah, you need to go whatever, never, ever. But as an entrepreneur, you better be self-motivated and get up and go do it. I mean, you can sleep in. It sounds glamorous, but nobody's probably going to be working in your business if you do that. Exactly. Key, key components here. Short form is show up and be consistent. That's right. You have to love be that the team. If you're not the leader of the team, nobody's going to go and do the work for you. They want you to they want to see you. They want to be a part of what you're doing. And if they don't feel included, then they pretty much check out and they're probably playing solitaire or something online well there you go you have it now we know what office employees are doing they're playing solitary <laughs> probably not now there's so much instagram now they're watching all that stuff <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome in light of time i'm going to get down to the last two questions before i get into what i call the lightning round question number i mean question number one is how do you know you've had a successful day well because i'm healthy i'm happy i've gone to the office Everything is working well. We haven't had any big problems. And I think that really makes it for a successful day. Awesome. Last but not least, someone watches this and wants to reach out to you or find you online. What? Where do they go? They can find me at fliplock.com and that's F-L-I-P-L-O-K.com. Or they can go to social media. I have my own platform, Anna Rieger Official or fliplock.usa on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Fantastic. Let's get into the lightning round, which is going to be a few fun questions about you. Okay. Starting off with what is your favorite food and why? Sushi, because it's light and I can get it. I don't have to get a big giant meal. I'm from Texas and everything comes in giant portions. Sushi just can just, you can get something small. Awesome. Favorite vacation spot and why? The beach, pretty much any beach that's nice and clear. I prefer the Bahamas because it's only a two hour flight from where I am and it's easy and the kids can go do stuff and I can go sit on a beach that's clean and get in the water. I like being in the salt water. I feel like it helps get me grounded and relaxes me and I can't be on my phone the whole time. So I actually have to be on vacation. <laughs> that's awesome. Awesome. All right. Favorite podcast or and or book favorite podcast uh i don't have a lot of favorite podcasts i don't want to be biased to anybody i like everyone's podcast there are some women in business podcasts that i listen to and i'm gonna have to say is a little something is i'm kind of a crime junkie <laughs> grace nancy grace fanatic i like those kind of shows so those might be more my favorites <laughs> fantastic awesome okay last question but not least if you were given unlimited amount of money, but only 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep what you don't get taken away. What would you do? I would build um, bigger, better facilities for special needs communities. I would also try to build some, buy the properties and build for women that are leaving domestic abuse situations and put them in safer homes where they could actually live there permanently with their families. And I would like to build something for our homeless community. My husband and I think that if somebody built a big complex where they'd have health, medical resources, everything, and they have a card where they can use it, then they would stay there and they would be supported because a lot of them have mental health issues. And I would also like to build something for mental health people because people with mental health issues, because my brother died of schizophrenia, he had schizophrenia and he died and there was no resources or help for us, no matter what we did as a family. And I think those things are super important. And it also is something mental health, I believe is directly affected, uh, directly tied to 
school shootings. And I think that if we start in schools and we implement and put more money there, that we may be able to help our children before they come into this uh, situation where they're doing things such as, you know, creating violence in schools. Great answer. Love that. Anna, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to the John Papaloni Show.